All right, welcome everyone to the Preferred Lives, the official podcast of New Hampshire Golf. I'm your host, Dave Long, and uh, we don't have a full house. We have our, our normal full house. Last week we were a little bit long, well, a little bit more full with Jim Silly here, but Matt Smith, the executive director of the New Hampshire Golf Association, and Scott Peters is here, and we have, as usual, a big show to talk about. Fellas, how are you? Hey, guys. Uh, do we have a big story this week? I'm going to run down what's going to be on the program, but is there... With the travelers yeah. being the event of the uh, this is PGA the, like week. The, the calm before the storm week kind of thing where there's not much going on, but mm-hmm. I would I would say that the travelers uh, we're going to talk about that travelers in Connecticut uh, last week it makes its is that the only stop in New England for the PGA yes. tour that's the only one yes. uh, we're going to take a little peek ahead again to the British Open uh, we've got some uh, grades for uh, the seasons in progress of some players who it's a little bit. Let's say they're not blowing away the field, and so we'll talk about those guys a little bit later. Uh, We're going to lead off with some NHGA news, uh, and we are at Eastman. We're on uh, location today at Eastman Golf Club, where there is uh, the second-to-last qualifier for the Hampshire Amateur. And uh, we've even got a crime beat, a crazy story, out of sad story, actually, out of California, that golf figures in the middle of. But... uh, you guys nice hear that? Tease. No, I don't know anything about that. All Me right, either. well, we'll get to that in just a second. But before I get to all that, let me mention that the presenting sponsor of Preferred Lives is Golf and Ski Warehouse, uh, where you want to go for the best selection, service, and savings. Swing <laughs> by Golf and Ski Warehouse in Hudson, Greenland, and West Lebanon, New Hampshire. We need and to in get Scarborough, the Maine. Just up the road from where we are. Just up the road. Just up the road. from That's where World Headquarters is, just yes. up the road in West yes. Lebanon. You can learn more and get directions to Golf and Ski Warehouse at golfskiwarehouse.com. So we've determined we don't have a big story. We're in the middle of the lull between the, uh, between the U.S. Open and the British Open. Is it, does it seem like that's pretty much the way it is every year, though? Yeah, kind of a letdown I, in the I think it was almost a bigger lull, though, because we've now had three majors, right, kind of jammed in together. Mm-hmm. And, and you could certainly sense, at least I sense, that um, the big-name players are being challenged by the new schedule. Yeah, I think so. You I know? agree with that. I mean, I mean Brooks Kepka was toast, fried, whatever adjective he was using after the Greater Hartford Open, mm-hmm. um, saying that, interestingly enough, saying that he was still hasn't come – or recovered from the PGA, which I thought was a strange comment considering he almost won the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I think the schedule's adding to their challenges as far as fatigue and all that, but also in, in referencing the lull that you just suggested. Is it more mental fatigue or is it physical fatigue, do you think? Mental. I mean, I think golf is very mental. I know when I've played competitive golf, you come off, you're exhausted. And, and certainly there's some physical fatigue, but it's more mental. And they're all in such good physical shape. Totally. Too, that it's, you know, right. it really shouldn't be affecting them from a physical standpoint. They don't seem to head to the 19th hole as frequently as maybe no. you, you and I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of an easy reference, and I found it. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> No, it is. I think it's it's a good point, and it'll probably take them a good, you know, this year, I think, then. You probably won't see it as much next year when they're used to it and, and understand, okay, here's where I need to pick my spots to rest more or maybe right. not play. Right. And um, just because it is, is all jammed in now, it seems like, and 
And you're right, it does feel weird that normally we're, we get done with the U.S. Open and you still have two more, and this is, I mean, this is it coming up here. In a yeah, and it's interesting to me to see these guys take so much time, like a number of them are taking a, almost the whole time off between majors, or maybe just sprinkling in one event, but it's, that's interesting to me. I mean, I always get excited this time of year because I love Lynx golf, so yeah. we've, we're going to the Irish Open at Lahinch, which is an awesome place to play golf, yeah. and then we're going to the Scottish Open, and I don't remember where they're playing the Scottish Open, but we go from the Irish Open to the Scottish Open to the British Open, and uh, I love that stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with you. And by the way, Lahinch is, is a stop on the 2020 NHGA Southwest Island Well, look trip. at that. Yep. How nice segue. And we actually will be sending out some information to people about that. I in, think I just got something. In conjunction with the, uh, with the event. Nice. So, pretty cool. Don't they have trees in Europe? I mean, why, why do the Lynx courses? No, no trees. In all, <laughs> no trees. In all in all one tree. Not nope, the Black nope, Forest. Not nope, the Black Forest. None no of that. Trees. Nope. But how did, why did, when courses started, was it why in Europe, which so, are a lot so older, that why is, are there more Lynx courses? It's a great question. And, and there's all That's kinds of... the first of, time you've ever said something something nice to me about something I asked. Well, it was actually, a, a, I mean, I'm, I'm stumbling a little bit because it was a great question <laughs> and I'm taken back by it. <laughs> but the definition of links... Okay, so you just evened it off yeah, right there. Right. Had, well, the water has to seek its level. Right, right. Um, so Lynx Golf, um, for those who don't necessarily know, I mean, links is, is a term that um, describes the ground that was really almost useless soil that linked the ocean to the land that uh, you could have vegetation, like trees, like whatever. And so it's this sandy, windswept soil that was almost you know, worthless for lack right. of a better way. And it, it made for perfect golf courses. And so that is the term of links. And so therefore the great courses of the world were being really started on courses that the land was almost useless. Yeah. I was thinking that along the line of that, it would have been so onerous considering how long ago golf started in Europe as compared to here to knock down trees and to build a course. I mean, you pretty much had to say, all right, this land we can do it on, and uh, because they would have need ox and oxen. and Incredibly easy to build Lynx Golf because, right. again, back to that sandy, windswept soil that, that was, you didn't have rocks, you didn't have trees. You, you would, uh, the bunkers were richly. I'm just enjoying the reference to oxen that we had. Right. <laughs> That's the first, too. That is definitely a first. Well, there you go. Well, um, oxen are tough. They're they're stronger and tougher than horses, right? So, I uh, mean, Manchester Country Club. I got the. the I don't know how you rate day. that. What's that? I don't know how you rate which one's tougher. I don't know. I think there's no. internet. Probably they probably have somebody's out. <laughs> by the there way, doing the Scottish it. opens at a place called the Renaissance Club. I thought I said rocks, by the way, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. They didn't have rocks. They didn't have trees. My point is that, and the bunkers were made from um, sheep would hide from the wind, and mm-hmm. they would dig these little holes, and so. That's how really Lynx Golf was started, and then when they moved inland, that's when the trees they actually do have trees. Yes, okay. I oh. figured they had to Black Forest, all yep. that. So yep. Battle of the Bulge, they were fighting. So those the trees. are called Parkland courses, and there were there were fewer of those because the Link, or, original golf was on the So it, rocks and trees. Do What's we have a, do we have a best Lynx course in New Hampshire, or what are the? Lynx I don't think courses? there is such a thing. Yeah, because again, it's not the appropriate land where you have. 
Well, it, it, right. it Lynx course has become ubiquitous to right. mounds and heather grass and right. fescue and ubiquitous. those sorts of things. Can you yes. hear that? Ubiquitous. Um, it's thrown out for the first time in the four years of our show. We threw out ubiquitous. All right. But I mean that's I mean that's it's sort accurate. of what we treat it as in the states that a lynx course has those things. Correct. Not a lot of trees. Right. 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 You know, it, Aaron Hill. It's not the true definition right. of lynx, but that is that is true, and I think that term has been applied incorrectly to many courses. Would anywhere come close? Do you think the only one that I think of is a true lynx golf course in New England is that is uh, Nantucket on Nantucket and Sankety Head, which is a fabulous. Yeah true in my opinion true links course and if you read some of the history of golf and stuff the guy named lauren rubenstein talks about it too i think which is it's really the only true links land in all of new england yeah i think they they're around here they they give it to some they give it to courses that don't have a lot of trees and maybe rolling hills like a passaconaway well i think that's true it's not accurate but i think it it's it's understood when somebody suggests a links course you think of it as a treeless, fairly open, windswept sort of piece of land. You know, I would say maybe thinking about places where we see golf played, maybe a Whistling Straits, at least it has that connection to the water. which is interesting why we're going there for the British, excuse me, for the the Ryder Cup. Which I'm going to, by the way. um, Thank you for that. Um, (laughs) Just thought I'd throw it in there. Anywhere else you're going you want to throw in? No, I just say a friend of mine lives in Milwaukee and he's convinced me to go. so. Um, So... so what's interesting to me is that we're headed to, you know, we talk about um, when you talk about the Ryder Cup and courses advantage and all that stuff, and clearly the, the course they had set up in France was a huge European advantage. I find it interesting that we're headed to Whistling Straits, and to your point, um, maybe not a true Lynx course, but certainly somewhat of a Lynx golf course. Um, Huge Which, fairways, at least when yeah, was but, it the but again, the wind dominant, right? right? Yes, wind dominant, and right. I think that's a big difference. And I think that that ultimately, um, it's going to lessen our advantage. I think it's going to play into the hands of the Europeans a little bit more, which I find is an interesting sort of um, situation. Um, equally interesting is we're watching Matt walk away as we're yes. trying to. That's do another this podcast. First. That's another first. That is, is that ubiquitous to it? <laughs> I'm still. I've never been quite sure exactly what ubiquitous means, other than or can you even say it? Yes. Well, that too. But I'm not big on pronunciation, as you know, <laughs> particularly as it it's comes to names. <laughs> <laughs> it seems almost a perfect segue to, to go to our. But I'll, let's not. Yes. Let's, no. Let's that wait. was with. As a matter of fact, with Matt walking off, that is. We've we've had people step away from the table before. We've never had. But someone never like pick, pick up your up ball and go home. And walk. <laughs> and walk out with like was it something on. we said? I don't know. I don't know if those uh, handcuffs they were getting ready to use. I'm not sure. So maybe they didn't pay their bill here today. I don't know. I doubt. I it. I think you could also go to Long Island as the next place for the next closest place when you think of Lynx Golf on Long Island. They have some. Trying to think of courses. Well, Shinnecock, Long Island yeah. National well, Golf Links. Those yeah. are. Um, is those, it Long Island National or is it National? It's National Golf Links. Right? It's a National Golf Links, is, and that's. I was just out there, as a matter of fact, uh, in that in that particular area. A couple well, weeks we're ago. just getting. I mean, you're we're touching off all your travels. Yes, there, it's, for, a, it's this is the segment the Dave Long segment. The Dave travel Long guide travels to golf. Good. Yes. Yeah. There's a course at the end of the on the there's in Long Island when it looks like a fish, the North Fork. Or as at this wedding, but there's a course out there right as you get off the ferry. Is that like near Shelter Harbor? Uh, Shelter Island, but Shelter, Shelter it's Island. Passive, it's uh, uh, no, I can't think of. Uh, anyway, 
Yeah, Shelter Island is a great course in Shelter Island, but there's a, it's called End of the Island. That's the name of the course, mm. and it's all just like that, windswept uh, public course. So you just, you just drive right off the ferry, across the parking lot, and into that course. I don't know about you, but I'm happy to see Matt decided to come back. Yeah. Matt's back. Hi, all Matt. Right. Hi. Oh. Was it something we said? or No. Okay. No. Just I had money that you're going to forget to put your microphone on and start talking, but just good day. job. Huh. I will say that... We were they will be playing bridge in here at 10 o'clock, just an FYI. In here? Yes. Okay. Which is why All right. we had to move our story <laughs> Well, we better, get move. we better get moving quickly. <laughs> All right. Never dull on the Preferred Lives podcast. No, the one thing I, I have I found interesting on the podcast is we never come close to following the outline that I sent to everybody. It's probably for the best. We jumped right into it's Link's part golf. Of our charm. But that, that, yeah, it gives you right. more free flow. That's when yeah. Matt's idea to do the podcast, and that's what he was looking for, more free flow. So having said that, let's go to the crime report. Did you see this story in, uh, this is in in California, and it's not funny really, but it's just weird. There was a, I don't even, quintuple murder in California in a mobile park. Well, you're right. It's certainly not starting off funny. In a mobile park between these two guys, or it started between these two guys who have about been, mini golf? They're arguing about mini golf. No, or something, they're, they're wasn't at it? A, there's a it's a trailer park slash golf course. Okay, so it's part of the it's part of the mobile home, and these two guys, Kurt Beck and Richard Hannon, had a long-standing feud, and it boiled over onto the golf course, the Casa Grande Mobile Home Golf Course in Santa Maria, California, and both of them died and they started a big fire and it started anyway and there's this, a third horrific victim. story yes this horrific story uh started on a golf course they were arguing about who got what on a particular yeah, i thought i read something about the fact apparently it's a long-standing sort of yeah feud if you will sad story well, I, I, certainly I don't really have anything to add. Well, really. it certainly brought the podcast down yeah, a bit. But right, yeah. We'll, we'll good thing we, to you lead. You want to go club some good thing we, seals now? <laughs> lead that. Lead with that story. <laughs> it's almost like the uh, Seinfeld takeoff where they had, uh, where Kramer's, Kramer was playing with a guy, Steve Gunderson, who flipped out on the golf course while he was playing with Kramer, and it, it, uh, it ended with this guy killing somebody and being in an O.J. It was a takeoff on the O.J. Simpson thing, but... Kramer was in the middle of it. All right, let's uh, bring things okay. up a little bit. Let's go to NHGA News. Uh, first off, the New Hampshire Open uh, was this week. So he, uh, I think he stopped the show twice, which that? is impressive. He literally stopped the show. Yeah, well, I'm working on it. Three, three's a charm, though. Things happen <laughs> in threes. Uh, your thoughts on the U.S.O. I mean, the U.S.O. The New Hampshire Open. Paul um, Pastore is that how you pronounce his name? Pastore. He well, he finished second. Right. From. Um, He's for, he was a Connecticut guy. Michael Cartrude from uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, actually won. Um, he was in a three-way playoff. Three guys finished at 10-under. Um, we went back to – we were at Brett Wood on Saturday for the final round. So just to, to interrupt for a quick second, last we spoke, you were um, – your, your red hair was getting gray out of concern for the – weather on yeah thursday. i suppose i should have started at the beginning it was it was really a challenging few days with the weather last thursday um the forecast was not good you dragged him off the course i think for a we, little bit we had about a 40 minute delay on thursday yep. big cell came right at us had a couple of real torrential downpours so we stopped for i it was about an hour we got him back out there managed to get finished 
on Thursday, which was huge, which right? Was because great because if you don't finish Thursday, then all you're doing is playing catch up, and this was even the prospect of that was even worse because we were at a completely different golf course on right. Friday. Right. So figuring out exactly and it was the weekend coming up, which. Right, and figuring out how we were going to get everybody who needed to finish at Brentwood on Thursday over to Keene if we hadn't finished was just, you know, it's nightmare fuel. But luckily we finished on Thursday. Friday morning the radar was terrible. But we went over to Keene. I talked to the superintendent. He said, we're fine. Even if it rains until noon, the golf course can take it. Um, so we started in the rain. Guys played in the rain Friday, but by Friday afternoon – the, the front had moved out. It was beautiful and sunny in the afternoon. And then we had a, a nice day Saturday, albeit extremely windy. Um, oh, it was windy Saturday, at, yeah. at, at, at the golf course to the point <laughs> where we, there's a, they set up a huge 20 or 30 by 30 tent with a scoreboard um, down at Brentwood Forest. The tent blew over. Did it really? Uh, the whole thing blew over. We'd actually moved the scoring area. It was under the tent. We moved it inside after about the first three groups. Then the tent blew over, so luckily nobody was in it. But then the scoreboard was up, and the scoreboard ended up coming down too. So it was wow. sort of a sort I know of a I was comedy of errors. In a event at Lake Sunapee on on Saturday, and it was howling. So I can yeah. only imagine Brett would have. It, and it, it really made the golf course interesting because there, the, the the wind was coming almost directly out of the north. So if you can imagine the 13th hole at Brentwood is the par three with yep. the, kind of almost the, the island, island green. green. Mm-hmm. I had the tee all the way back. It was playing 173. Into or? <laughs> Into. So the, wow. So the first groups, uh, Mike Martell was in, in one of the early groups. He told me he had eight iron. The last groups were hitting six iron there because wow. the wind was blowing so bad. Wow. Uh, but then it was interesting because then you had 17 and 18 were straight down wind, mm. and we had the tee on 18 moved all the way up to the forward tee so box. It's so very it's reachable, right? Yeah. Four. You know, and when you're playing on an island, I mean, you, you can you miss it. You're in the water, of course. And if the wind's coming like that, you just don't, especially if you're in the early groups, you just don't know what to hit, right? Yes. So, So what do you do? Well, I think, you know, ironically, into the wind, the shorter shots are harder mm-hmm. because you have more loft. And when you're right. 125 right. yards, which is a no-brainer, simple all-day-long pitching wedge, it's dramatically different. And so in a lot of ways, um, you know, when someone says, well, I'm, it, is it a two-club win? My response to them would be, what's your trajectory? Because it makes all the difference yeah. in the world as to what shot you hit. And I know that may be a little bit foreign to some, but the reality is, how high or low you hit your shot totally dictates how you're going to play the shot. And so there is no, you know, this is sort of back to Lynx golf. You know, when you play Lynx golf and you're in Scotland or Ireland, yardages are almost irrelevant because of the nature of the conditions and the nature of the wind. And so it's choosing a shot more than it is what club to hit. And so and with an island cases, green, it's much, much harder. Yeah. Right, because there's no run up to land, so that it will end up where you want it to end up. Well, but but in Lynx Golf, you can run it up. Yeah. In on the 13th hole at at, uh, at Brentwood. Well, I think about you when can't be short and you the, can't be long. The year Correct. Phil won, he hit that. He hit a second shot on that par five that just just carried the bunker and hit the downslope and, and rolled, rolled all the forever. Way the yeah, Muirfield. Yeah, totally. Yep. And I, you know, he he and Bones had to be having a conversation of where they wanted that ball to land, sure, so that it would end up on the green. Sure. No chance he wanted to carry it all the way to the green. Couldn't. I don't think he couldn't have. But, right. Um, yeah. So it was. I always he, attributed that to adrenaline, but maybe I'm wrong. That shot. The what? What shot? The Watson shot. Oh, we're at Watson now. Yeah. Um, well. 
look, and Watson missed that shot, and we're now in the, what, the 2009 British Open at Turnbury. Watson missed, hit that shot by two or three yards. So to me, that was as much a bad break as anything because, and that's what happens in Lynx golf, it landed on a downhill rather than on a flat was, spot. Was he, he was tied for the lead when that happened, right? Was he, he was, he was one leading. shot in the lead. Yeah. Because he bogeyed and yeah. went to a playoff when lost to Stuart Sink. Right, right. That would have been a nice story. Yeah. Somehow we've evolved to... Well, we're at the New Hampshire Open here when yes. we're talking about so hitting in the wind. My question is, were you satisfied with the uh, two-course event concept? Did it work, or would you not want to do that again? <laughs> I mean, it worked, and I think it's a fun Did the concept. players like it? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we heard from the players. We didn't hear anything. Because they're two very different golf courses. They are. And I, I mean, I guess I'd say we didn't really hear anything one way or another about it. Right. I mean, with that field, it's a group of players that they just play so much golf that it's showing they up in a golf course right. and playing. Right. right. And it's, right. you know, they go where you tell them and they tee it up. And, um, you know, I think Keene presented some challenges for the players that they didn't think it would, especially the 13th hole. The par five was right. a, was a real nightmare. I mean, Pastore shot sixty six on Friday, and he made a seven on the thirteenth hole. So, he so one that goes there. downhill and then back up, yeah. You know. Which you think is, you know, I, I consider that a reachable five for those right. guys, and right? It, I mean, kind of. I mean, I understand the tee shot's a little quirky, but all things considered, it's yeah. it's pretty straightforward. I think so. Guys were missing left. We had people hitting right. out of bounds, stakes, and then coming back in bounds, and can't miss left. So you know. right. Um, so it was it was. I think that was one where. You had some guys who hadn't been to Keene sort of right. played in there a right. little bit with not knowing what to hit. Well, we and talked about that, where you could show up to Brentwood site unseen and make it work. Yeah. Keene was going to take a practice round. I, and I also thought it was interesting with the team moved up on 18 at Brentwood on Saturday. We still had some guys who were hitting iron off the tee and laying significantly far, farther back. And what's funny is that, you know, standing there with the, the staff at Brentwood and, and Mikey Martell stuck around to watch – we all know how much room there is left on that hole. You can right. hit it a mile left. Right. And, you know, even with that tee up and the wind howling straight down when you, you kind of tee it up and take your chances and hit it left because it was a back right pin. You get far enough it's left, you get a easier. really good angle right. at it. Totally agree. And that back right pin, there's a, there's a big mound in the middle of the green. Even if you got a wedge in your hand in the fairway, it's a hard shot to get it over that mound. Sure. So you're, you know, Pastore in the playoff hit it more towards the back middle of the green, didn't really have a makeable putt. Whereas Michael Karcher, the guy who won, he actually hit three wood and got it over the cart path mm. left. But then mm. he had a really good angle and just sort totally of totally different it up shot, to, right? To twenty feet, yeah. and made interesting. A so it was interesting, but it was a good week, all things considered. Um, you know, you just hate trying to fight the weather, and, and we sort of beat it. So it it all ended up pretty good. Occupational hazard, though, the weather. Um, where next year? Where does it go next year? We do not have a site for the Open yet next all right. year. All right, State Am, you're down to your final two qualifiers. One's today, which is while we're taping at Eastman. We're at Eastman. And uh, one on Sunday at Beaver. What, uh, what will the field be like? Or have you given any thoughts to your field for the State Am in general? How many... How many people left to qualify? Well, we'll have 156 players in the final field. Um, well, it'll be a strong field like it always is. We'll have a lot of really, really, really good players. Um, and I think we've talked about this a lot, that I think it's, it's going to be an interesting test of golf at a place that can be really 
play pretty fair or can play really difficult depending on the weather. And a place that has some teeth from a yardage standpoint that a lot of other golf courses don't have um, in the state. So to be honest with you, I'm excited to get my hands on Portsmouth um, a little bit because I haven't, I mean, I don't think we've had, we haven't had a major championship certainly in the five and a half years that I've been here. Really? At Portsmouth. But um, for some reason you might have, but no. So I'm excited to get out there and, um, you know, I'd really like to try to get out there beforehand and see the golf course and actually play out there because it's been probably two years since I've been out there and played. Um, but, but to your point, the course will give you flexibility. Right. Right? A lot because of you can make it long, you can make it, you can shorten it up a little yep. bit. I assume the rough will be thick as yep. it generally is. Yep. Uh, greens are very, the course is very straightforward. There's it no is. tricks, there's no gimmicks. Greens are pretty receptive. They're pretty flat for the most yeah. part. I mean, heck, I, the second green has to be one of the flattest greens in the state. I mean, there's just not a lot of undulation on that green at all. You know, I, I would have said, eh, there's, I wouldn't have thought second would be the flattest of all. There's a lot of flat ones. There's a lot of flat ones, right? I always sort of, my rule of thumb when I play there is that when in doubt, play the putt straight because, mm-hmm. but anyway, um, I think it'll be a great venue. It always is. I mean, I played there, boy, I don't know what year it would have been, 2003 oh, gosh, or four. I, I think, I think they had it there. Oh, four, I think. So I played um, in then, and I thought it was a great venue for that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Brett was telling me, Brett Wilson was telling me that when it was there in 04, he said one of the days... Guys were playing in, in toboggans and, and rain gear because it was. Yeah, I think it was the quarterfinals. I lost in the third rainy. round, and I remember the, the next match would have been Thursday morning, yeah. if my timeline is right. Friday morning. Friday morning. Friday morning, Friday right. Quarters in the so I lost Thursday afternoon, and it was Friday morning. I remember Friday morning was. It was just miserable. A miserable day, yeah. And that's what you can get yep, out there. Totally. Do you, uh, if you're looking ahead, do you take the weather into account as you set up the course? Or you have you to. Pretty, you do. You have to. And again, oh, we've so touched on this in the past. I agree, you absolutely have to, but but there's a big difference between match play and stroke play. Yeah. And so in stroke play, I think you you tell me, but I assume you need to be far more sensitive to the weather than match play because when match play is just... When you're worried, I, I mean, I hope this doesn't sound crass, but the first two days you're trying to get 156 guys around. The both of the first two days. And the field is, you know, you, we reference a, a strong field, but the last 20% right. are vastly different than the first Correct. 20%. Um, and so, you know, that's your big concern is playability, um, trying to get everybody around, trying to make, you know, it can be a good test of golf, but fair, and you're probably not going to see 7,100, I shouldn't say probably, you're not going to see 7,100 yards either of the first two days. Um, but Scott's right that, it's a lot easier to go out and, and start putting T markers in the ground and setting hole locations when it's just me playing Scott. Because, um, you know, for both of us, maybe we hate where a hole location is because we both draw the ball and it's, our, it's a back right hole location and neither of us can hit a cut. Well, you know, you're not worried about protecting the field or what all 64 players are going to think because ultimately all they're really going to talk about is how their match went against their right. opponent. They're not... Right. Not going to talk about the golf course. Well, setup and as much. and we're t- silly as it sounds, we're teeing off at the same time. Mm-hmm. Monday and Tuesday, you got people teeing off at eight a.m. and at two thirty. Right, and that means they're playing till six. Yep. So you need to set up a golf course that ideally is fair from seven in the morning till six at night. And it was Big interesting difference. too how the the morning wave and the afternoon wave break down. We hear a lot about this even on tour with the major championships that. You know, at the Open, the afternoon wave guys on Thursday had to deal with the rain. They had to deal with a delay. 
and finishing later, and then they were the first ones off at Keene Friday morning, and they had to play in the rain again. Now, Friday afternoon, it got sunny, but it was breezy, so it wasn't exactly like it was perfect conditions for the guys in the um, in the, the morning wave on Thursday. And in well, the you see that in major championships all the time. They just, talk about, you know, rub of the green, right? right. I mean, it's totally... At the, and, you know, for tournament late golf, early could be much better than early late. There's no right or wrong. There's no rhyme or reason. You've played it's enough just tournament luck golf that luck. I think if you talk to the, uh, that stuff evens out. You know, you may feel yeah. like one It may event, not that week. Right. But one year you feel like, boy, did we, I really got burned with the, the late early on Thursday and Friday. But right. but then, you you know, another year you're going to say, boy, we really got the, the good end of the deal playing early Agreed. and late. Agreed. It all sort of evens out in the end. All right, well, that's a couple of weeks away, three weeks away, and uh, two weeks away, right? I don't know what week is it. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Scary to say, July's coming up pretty darn soon. It's yeah. nuts. I just kind of have in my mind, as I'm trying to think of planning and how we're going to be out there, we're going to be out there every day doing podcasts, but you know, it's in my mind, it's been, that's way out there, and but it's not. And right. So anyway, from a planning standpoint, I've got to get on that. Uh PGA moved to New England, as we said this week. They were at the Travelers in Connecticut. What's the big story there? Who won? The low seven, minus 17 won, or that Jordan Spieth missed the cut? Uh, I might even say something you didn't mention. I thought the Zach Sucher story was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I thought that cool. was awesome on a bunch of levels. Here's second a guy, place, minus 13. Second place, but it's you know that's the short, simple version. The right. reality is here's a guy who's been struggling with with even being able to stay on to or survive. He had medical issues. He's got no money. He's ready to call it quits. He still keeps playing. He gets the lead after two days by, what, five shots, mm-hmm. and then proceeds to, in a matter of 30 minutes, yep. throw it all away, finishes the third round, and now all of a sudden he's six behind. So that's a whole you know uh, uh, can of worms to deal with. And so he's got two or three tournaments left on his medical exemption, and then he shows up in the final round and guts it out and finds himself chipping in for par on 18 <laughs> to finish tied for second and giving himself a great advantage. And, you know, and it's so easy to talk about the Kepkas and the Tigers and the Spees and all that stuff, but there's so many great hidden stories like the Zach Sucher stories. Quite honestly, the Ches Ravie story is a, a great story. Here's a guy who hasn't won in 11 years. Isn't it funny? We were just. I heard he him came, say he came 4,000 in... days between his last. Think about that. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's still on tour after 11 years without a win is is amazing in and of itself. And, and we were just talking about him uh, the week before that on how great he played at the US. because he played so great right. at the U.S. Open, made right. a lot of putts. And um, uh, I mean, you have to just think for a guy like that what what a relief that is to have your exemptions taken care huge. of and your. You're into the Masters. You're into the players. All well, the interview stuff, afterwards right? showed it all, right? His level of emotion. He's like, I don't even know what's next or yeah. where I'm going or, you know, all all the you know you're used to dealing with bad things. He has all of a sudden all these really cool things that are going to yep. be coming his way, and he didn't even know how to sort of digest the whole thing. Yeah. So. In two weeks, he won two million dollars, basically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, after struggling, I mean, it, it, I guess it. it you know, as you just said, it's easy to talk about the guys who are always up there and you always see, but you don't really know who's struggling, who's well, not I, struggling. I mean, I think that's sort and of what's the, that like? The hidden story after the the British too is, you know, the 
the guys trying to keep their status on tour, trying to get into the the FedEx Cup, and because it's you know you forget we do get caught up on in Brooks and how good he is and how many he's going to win and is Rory ever going to win again? But you know there are guys out there grinding to make a living. You know, not to uh, uh, anecdotally, I was. Um, I was texting with a friend of mine uh, named Olin Brown Jr. Not the Olin Brown father who's on the Champions Tour, but Olin Brown Jr. has been, he's almost 30 years old now. And uh, he's exceptionally talented, like exceptionally talented, but he can't find a place to play. So he's got partial web.com, I was going to say, but nope. He's partial Corn Ferry Tour status, which, by the way, that's a whole nother, mm-hmm. what a create anyway i mean i i can't get my arms around calling executive search consultant corn fairy tour but anyway he was talking to me about how you know this unbelievable great opportunity he has and to you use his words he's he's on the struggle bus he said he's been he boarded the struggle bus which means he's unfortunately playing really poorly at this time when he has these great opportunities and, you know, there's so many great stories like that. Not that that's a great story, but it's it's a real-life story of, you know, we've talked about how hard it is to win. We've talked about how, how hard it is to get on tour. I mean, in many ways, getting out there is much harder than staying out there. And so it's just interesting. You know, we talk about these top I mean, 120. vice versa. Getting out there is easier than staying out there. No. no? Getting out there is harder than yeah. staying out there because if you think about it, only 125 keep their car. Yep. Um, but so how and do you, you get and, there, right? And I mean, then you also think about somebody like Owen Brown Jr. and how how good he is and how much of a successful junior golf player. I mean, these guys have no all won big tournaments and they've competed at a high level. And I mean, he's winning little mini tour events all winter when they're you know just little fifteen hundred dollars a year. But I mean, he's shooting, but, you're, but you're winning, winning, you're and you're shooting seven under par. Right? So it's there are so many good golfers mm-hmm. out there. It's unbelievable, and and to. To somehow get your way out there is is really hard, and then and then the Zach Sutures or the Ches Ravies. I mean, they're just some really cool stories. Um, you know, and the more the more uh, it, it, another thing about golf, professional golf, that's harder than the other sports is that guys, particularly in basketball and in in baseball, they've got guaranteed contracts sure. that stay for four sure. years. Yeah. Uh, NFL, you know, your next game could be your last game just because of the way that those contracts are structured. But it's so much more, it's so easier. You sign that three-year contract and it's okay, I'm all right, even if I get sent to the minors. Well, it's partially why you hear this, it's their contract year. So all of a sudden they're more motivated, more focused, they're in better shape, they're going to play better. That's a different sport. But, you know, just one quick uh, final thought on, on... not necessarily Olin Brown, but the comment he made, which is so true to all these guys, is, and this is the theme, I'm one week away. Mm-hmm. Right? He's just one week away. And you know how fickle this game is, Matt. I mean, you know, you could be shooting, playing your worst golf, and for whatever reason, all of a sudden you get this little swing tip, and before you know it, you play four days of great golf, and all of a sudden, boom, right? And, and it's their total mindset of, I'm one week away. Um, and that's a, that's an interesting way to make a living. It really is. And, I mean, you know, how many of these guys go in to a week thinking I, I'm I, everything is where it needed to be? I'm in a good frame of mind. I'm hitting it good. 
and then it you know it all sort of starts to spiral out of control. One bad break, and then one next bad thing you know, hole. You're you're grinding <laughs> to make the cut, and the next thing you know, you miss the cut, and it, well, it's on to the next, and not getting paid this week. And well, I mean, I again, I don't want to compare my golf to to what we're talking about here, but I a number of terms I've gone into thinking. I've never been more prepared. I've never been more ready. I'm playing good. And then I play like a dog. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then the events where, boy, oh, boy, I'm not even sure why I'm showing up. And boom, all of a sudden. And there's no rhyme or reason no, to it. No, it, it, you're right. It's, so, there isn't. Anyway, I thought Zach Sucher was a cool story. I think, in, I think golf, there's no rhyme or reason. That phrase fits golf more than it does any other sport. I agree. With guys coming in. And all of a sudden, you just don't have it one day. Yes. Uh, and... And as you said, you're playing well, and you go to that next day after you play well. You go, all right, I'm ready to go, and then you know, you don't play well. And by the so, way, we talk about why does it come and go? I guess that's my question. It seems it's hard. To, yeah, I know, but it seems it seems to me that it comes and goes more in golf, even at the top players, than it does in other sports. Because ultimately, your effort isn't doesn't really help. Meaning, and that was poorly phrased. My point is. The harder you try in basketball, baseball, football, hockey, whatever it may be, the more effective you are. And if you don't have your skills that day, many times in playing, you know, I played a lot of hockey. I showed up to the game, and I wouldn't really have my game. I could always work my tail off. I could always be effective. I could always be um, have some positive outcome on the, the results, right? But in golf, the harder you try, the worse you play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... So the, that effort does not necessarily correlate to good results. And, and there's just, it's fickle. It's like a pitcher, right? I mean, uh, some days you show up and you've got it. I mean, Chris Sale just had a lousy outing. And he says, I don't know, I just, my timing, whatever it was, it wasn't right. on. I mean, that's why, to me, 72 holes is the best test because nobody plays great all four rounds. And so inevitably, within that four rounds, how you respond to your adversity mm-hmm. is the indicator. And so it's just the uniqueness of the game. You know, it's interesting. In the back nine, the final nine of the Masters, and we were talking, when Tiger won, we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, the thing that stuck out to me when he was playing, A, I didn't think he had his A game, but B, um, his face. He was just so, it was, it was just so... Um, Determined, or also you could see that he's used to things going wrong at the end, and that's why I thought he might come undone. Just because, as you say, it seemed like he was trying too hard or wanted it so bad, and but he didn't. So I had credit. this silly little phrase, and again, I, I I don't mean to imply anything I do out there is similar they do, but I think it does have some sort of uh, translation to what's going. Which is, I used to say to myself. Uh, in the course of that competition that I wanted to try really hard to not try. And what that says to me is I wanted to make sure that I would allow my my game, my athleticism to come out rather than trying so hard that I would restrict myself. Yeah, and so, no, I know exactly what that is. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, so you need to get out of your own way. And sometimes the harder you try um, actually is a, a negative effect rather than a positive. I can tell you I became a much better player. And that's a you know, you, that, that, that's a, much better for me is different than much better for someone else. But I became a much better player when I stopped trying to make every putt and make every drive perfect. And I just you have accept, to let it happen, not right. make it happen. Exactly. And that's a big difference. And that's my entire other athletic background was exactly like that was 
the only skill I really had was I could try hard, you know, and could outlast people. Right, and then and, and to your golf, sport, you basketball was hugely applicable. Right, exactly. But but in golf, you know, if you try, you can't make a birdie from the tee, right? <laughs> but so I you used have to think to, I, I know, <laughs> but so so it's an evolution, right? And so you have to let it happen. Yeah. Um, you can't make it happen. Yeah. Every time you try and make it happen, you generally you make the bogey, not the birdie. Does that come from people who start at a really young age, or is that just the person who's got that, understands it in his brain or her brain right from the start? Or Well, there's a degree of skill and confidence that goes with this as well, right? And so inevitably, um, you just need to learn to get out of your own way and let yourself be as good as you are. And in golf, the ball doesn't go anywhere until you're ready to hit it. Yes, if you're playing baseball, well, you've got to swing when the pitcher throws it. Right. You know, when you're playing hockey or basketball, you've got to do something when the puck and or ball comes towards you. Right. So you're reacting. In golf, it's an action. And so before this action, you have all kinds of little demons in your head, and that you're, you don't have to hit it until you're ready, but within that context is, and that action is, you are in full control of your mindset, you're in full control of when it when the uh, shot occurs, and all those thoughts that are going through your head. So the most common other activity in another sport to a golf swing and a golfer is probably a pitcher. As you're talking about Sal, his mechanics were gone in that particular game. You decide when that pitch is going to happen. And guys who just have lost it, you know, gotten Steve Blast disease in baseball, pitchers, or even throwers, it's, it's, I mean, guys like like Steve Sachs at second base, it's all your mechanics get out of whack, and that's totally. when golfers go. And, and I can think south. of, I can think of uh, pitchers who are notoriously struggle through the first inning or two, and then once they get into their groove, they pitch great. Right. But they have to fight through that early struggle. That's not a skill thing to me. That's all between your ears. Well, right? and it's you know in a t- in a team sport, um, if I'm playing right field, and all of a sudden a pitch comes in, and I'm thinking about where I'm going to go for dinner after the game. <laughs> And the, the guy batting swings and misses, I can get away with not concentrating on every single play that's happening. Right. Now, if I'm not concentrating, the ball comes towards me. How I'm, were the I'm, nachos, though? Excellent. That's good. <laughs> but, it, you know, that's what I've always thought the hardest thing about golf is, is that I don't think people realize how much you have to concentrate on what you're doing on every single shot. And you hit a shot, and then you have all these other distractions. Yep. And, and you have all these other things going on. And you're thinking – you start – you know, we're human. Our mind starts to wander. You do start to think about other things. And then you get to the ball and you have to say, okay, now I have to hit this shot. I have to concentrate fully on what I'm doing. You know, we were talking about how windy it was Saturday. And, you know, golf's a very slow game until it's your turn. Mm-hmm. And then it's a very fast game. Yeah, and then all point. of a sudden you've got all these elements. And I remember thinking a couple times Saturday in this little silly one-day event we were playing in, which was meant nothing besides, you know, we like to compete and you like to do well. But the game goes very slow, and then I remember vividly on one shot that all of a sudden it was my turn, and the wind was howling, and I couldn't figure out the club, and I couldn't, and I, it was hard to make a good decision. And then within that, if you don't make a decision you're, you have conviction of, now you're standing over the shot, not fully convicted, not sure of what you're trying to do, not sure of what the elements are, and all of a sudden the game, it's going very, very fast. So for a three and a half hour round, a slow game, those moments right. of, of when the heat is on, it's a very fast game in some respects. The one, the one that gets me is I'm on the tee, and I'll, I'm, I'm about to drive, 
And, you know, in my mind, I'm saying to myself, nice and slow in the backswing. I take the backswing up and I get it up here and my mind way, goes blank and I... That's not a very good position you were in right there. What's that? <laughs> that wasn't a very good position you were in right there. But think about that. <laughs> so think about what you were just but, saying. And, and, and I agree with everything one, you're saying. It's one second and it, and it right. leaves my brain. Ground ball to short. Oh. Got all the time in the world. Ground ball short, deep in the hole, you got no time. Which, which one do you throw... To first with a oh, more accurate, right? Yeah, the one that is instinctive, that is a reaction that doesn't, you know, it's like you need a lobotomy on the one that comes to you when you got all the time in the mm-hmm. world. So again, you want to be as it's almost like instinct takes totally, over. Yeah, totally. Hey, I made three errors playing shortstop in the same inning one game, and by by the sounds by, about right. By the uh, and and I was a good fielder, but it just got this one went through my leg, the second one went through my legs, and the third one. I get a ball just like that, easy play. Uh, first of all, you had I'm too be- much time, I'm, I'm right? Begging for the ball not to be hit to me. First of all, and <laughs> so the, true. And then, and then the, and it gets, to, and it's a high hopper. I get it and I throw it and I airmail this ball to first base. I mean, it just went, it went like into the mezzanine. <laughs> well, like, don't you feel like I, I mean, I haven't played a lot of good rounds, but the really good rounds you remember post round you almost feel like you weren't thinking about it you weren't grinding it just all came easy that day totally and it's yep. because you know you didn't you were actually concentrating more on what you were doing than you actually thought that you were really well when you're playing well you wonder how you would ever play poorly and when you're playing poorly you wonder how you're ever, ever going to play, play well again i usually sit there and go I've been playing this game since I was 13. How could I be this bad? <laughs> I'll take out a funny story from my silly event on Saturday, too, which is sort of back to what we're talking about, whether you have confidence or not confidence. So we're playing a format where you both drive, and then you choose one and pure alternate in from there. So I hit this really which good is drive. a really good way to lose friends. It is a good way to lose friends. And my partner was, was um, struggling a little bit, so he wasn't confident. So I hit a nice drive down the middle of the fairway. You got probably 130 into the green. He pulls hook his drive. It's in the rough. I got sort of a shot, but I got a funny lie out of the rough from almost 200 yards. And he looks at me and goes, I think you got this shot. <laughs> I looked at him. I'm like, you're 130 in the middle of fairway. This is 195 out of the rough with a hanging lie. No, no. He, had, he wanted nothing to do <laughs> with hitting the shot. There was no question which ball we had uh-huh. to take. But he's like, Bang. I look at him and I start laughing. No. We are going, and you are hitting that <laughs> shot. Long story short, we made the par out of it, but it was just funny. That's the mindset, all been right? There. It's just an awful feeling, right? You, you don't, don't want it, yeah. and yet you're in the middle of the fairway, and you're thinking, "Well, the guy over here, he can do it because I don't want to do it." So, so was it? He didn't have confidence in himself, or he had confidence in more confidence in you? Um, I think it was more the former than the latter, but I think it was a little of both. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was a little of both. All right, we uh, this is a kind of a thin, kind of a light week in terms of golf news. So we, uh, I took a story out of Golf Digest, uh, written by called the Thirteen Dumbest Things in Golf, and this was a guy's commentary. And uh, is some his of, podcast listed as one of them? Yeah, no, I'm, he's probably just going to. That That's might very be in, well done. That might be in the next one, but anyway, it's number fourteen. It so just I, didn't quite make the cut. Some of which I think we'll agree with, some of which we won't, but this is written by the ultimate get-off-my-lawn kind of a guy. He is a grouchy crab. But anyway, but before we do this, let me just say that for the best selections, service and savings, whoosh, swing by Golf and Ski Warehouse in Hudson, Greenland, West Lebanon, in New Hampshire, and in Scarborough, Maine. Learn more 
and get directions to Golf and Ski Warehouse at golfskiwarehouse.com. All right, the 13 dumbest, this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell me if you agree or disagree on these things. Uh, one of which we've already talked about, this relates to the rule change, but number one in his list was the new double hit rule. And his question is, why is the USGA letting players off the hook for hitting terrible shots? Do you agree with them or not agree with them? Well, I mean, this is a dumbest thing, one of the dumbest things in golf. I, I, would, I guess I'm going to give it a two-fold answer is what I would come up with, because I know my USGA friend over here is going to agree with the USGA decision. But I would say... <laughs> That's why you're going first. <laughs> That's, I would say that it does seem odd to me that when you hit it twice, you only have to count it once. But I think the conclusion was, if you hit it twice, it's not going to be in a good place. And so, therefore, I don't think it's really a penalty to have to play your ball where you hit it twice, too, because inevitably it didn't go where you wanted it to go. I, I agree. I think that was sort of the reasoning behind that is, I mean, one, how often does that actually happen? Right. Not very. I, I think most of us could go years without that happening. Well, and I don't so, think that's the duration for me, but anyway, go ahead. You know, <laughs> what's, look, all, a lot of these changes are meant to be more, <clears throat> more player-friendly, and I guess the player would say, well, I hit a terrible shot and managed to hit it twice. Why do I get penalized for that? I mean, it's, you've, you've, hit, you've hit a not a good shot. You shouldn't be penalized. I mean, technically, you made, you made one stroke at the ball. And so that's what it should be, one stroke. So I don't have a problem with it. I think, in fact, the two-hit thing was very confusing for many people as to what, what does that oh, mean. Yeah. So. All right, so we disagree with that one. Uh, now, this we're going to go to uh, someone who owns a uh, golf retail business. This is Iron Covers. Cover, people who use covers to go on there. You, sell, you must sell those. Of course. Yeah, of course you sell those. Uh, and he says his response is, if you Google golf iron covers, 126,000 results pop up. I think that's a slight exaggeration, but I, I've, I've never, uh, not that I'm a, a slave to uh, uh, taking care of things, but uh, does that go in there? Do do uh, golf iron covers seem like an odd thing to have or no? Are you asking me to um, be critical of some of our, my no, customers? I'm asking, I'm asking <laughs> yes. you to be as biased as you want to <laughs> or not want to. I'll go from a personal perspective. I've never understood it. So I, I, I you know, but that is probably for somebody who um, keeps their car cleaner than me, who probably cleans their shoes more than I do, who probably is very organized, and and that's just that sort of personality. And so I, it's not something I would do. No. But but if that's someone's personal preference, then so be it. Yeah, totally. To each his own. I'm Correct. okay with that, other than the fact that I don't think I've ever seen anybody who has those things who was ever a good player. And well, I think... worried about keeping the cart clean. I think there's a reasonable chance that same person has iron covers probably has a towel in their back pocket. <laughs> What do you think? <laughs> you know, I need to be careful here too. <laughs> really, all right. This is one that what could get. This is one that could Why? get all of us in trouble. Uh, number three, starter spiels, and it's the starter who engages you in conversation. And what he's saying is, he's really trying to get the, the guy. Just wants to give, start giving you advice, his advice on where to play and how to play it. And you could tell this guy is a must be from New York. Doesn't like people, so he doesn't want to hear it. <clears throat> I'm okay with starter spiels personally. I, I, in fact, I don't like I don't like starters who won't talk to you because you can tell they don't like their job or me. Personally, you know, it's, you know, the it's look difficult of me. because 
so here's an example. When I was at the PGA show last year, I played at Orange County National. And I played with a group of people that I used to work with in Indiana, who, two of whom played Division One college golf, and one of whom has won two USGA championships. You know, I kind of think we know what we're doing. And if there's the starter, okay, you know, you need to be off the car paths on, on you need to stay on the car paths on par threes. You need to you fix divots and ball markers. There's, you know, there's there's divot mix in the carts, and it's you know, <clears throat> but you understand that he may be talking to the next group that that it's the first time they've been out there. They really don't know where they're going. They're, you know, so they're interacting with a lot of different people over the course of a day when they're out there, and and I think the wide variety of personalities right, and, and experience. And look, one thing we always talk about is that golfers, when they show up to someplace new, when they play in one of our events for the first time, you know, you there is a level of nervousness about making sure you do the right thing. I think we as golfers, I think one of the people feel judged about what they're doing, with the, the, the quality of their play, knowing where they're supposed to go, knowing yep. that, you know, we don't have a registration at our events outside of when we have shotguns. You just need to be on the tee at your tee time and people still come ask us, where do I register? Even though it's, you know, it says on the website, you don't need to register, but people show up to something like this, a qualifier, it's the first time that they just want to make sure they're not doing something wrong. Yeah, it's an intimidating process for some. And so I think that, you know, the idea of a starter engaging with people is, is hopefully to make them feel more comfortable yeah. so that they don't go out there and feel overwhelmed. I, I totally agree with that. I think there are so many different sort of people who these starters are talking to from a avid enthusiast low handicapper to a first timer high handicapper you know the avid enthusiast low handicapper is not listening because he already knows half the uh, other people aren't listening because (laughs) they're so nervous about everything else i think it plays a role Um, i'm not sure how important i will tell you this one of the one starter story i remember i was up in scotland and we're at brora and this is downwind par four not really drivable the wind was blowing hard enough and the starter says go so i was with a couple other guys and they went and i was waiting because i felt like i can probably drive the green and i said no i gotta wait because and the guy started getting mad at me he's like no you gotta go this is your time you go i said well but they're on the green he says you have to go i'm like fine so i get up and i rip it i hit right into the group in front of us <laughs> and they were like furious with me right and i'm like going well <laughs> I knew I shouldn't go, and yet the starter was making go. And it was just sort of funny. That was, I've never forgotten that experience, and a friend of mine still reminds me of it all the time. Yeah, but, but it comes down to feel, doesn't it? it like the person, if they kind of have a, you know, that guy, I don't know, maybe he's afraid of his job. He thought he'd know more than you. He doesn't know anything about your right. game, and he probably right. thinks here's the ugly a American exactly who what he can was. drive the green. Absolutely. And, who, most of them, when they do that, hit a 60-yard oh, yeah. slice into the... North right. Sea, for God's sakes. But yeah, I'm more like, I think the starter plays a role. Yeah. I, I, I mean, okay I tend to not listen very much because I've I mean, I been there, done that. What but. we do is different because we're talking about tournament golf, but we always make sure that we have a starter who can, you know, can answer questions and hopefully gives the player all the information they need about local rules. Here's your scorecard. We're playing it up. Here's, you know, here's where scoring is going to be. We got a couple of rules issues things out there. They're on your rule sheet. We don't read them verbatim to them, but look at your rule sheet so you know. I mean, that's important for people when they're teeing off to have all that information. And again, I get tournament golf is different than your your casual round on a right. Saturday. As long as you're just not a little too chatty, you know, they just kind of like follow you as you're okay, walking. That's a the that's a fine line, though, right? Right. Because yes. what you think is too chatty, I may think is or isn't. Right. 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 
So, but I assume I, if you think I, it's I too a, chatty, I have it's a story too chatty. About, I have a, no, I'm just saying for me personally, if they're too chatty, it's like okay, you know, I'm I'm, I'm done I'm now. answers. Yes, no, get away from me. You know, I'm not friendly. I'm from New York. Anyway, uh, all right, number five. Um, Poker chip ball markers, inexpensive souvenirs. Drives me crazy. That let your buddies know you played it. Drives Beach me. Some- I don't care whether it's a poker chip or not, but let's talk about this for a second. The whole concept of marking your ball is to get something out of the way of somebody exactly. who's putting. And so when people fear, use right. these ridiculously oversized ball markers, I'm like saying, what's the point? Why not right. just leave your friggin' ball there? Or put a tee there. Friggin'. By yes, the way, so nice, for yes. emphasis, I've backed off my yeah, half an hour straight. Yeah, really. yes. Look at me mature. It's still a good emphasis word, though. I don't get why people use these huge ball markers because it's totally inconsistent with the whole intent of marking your ball is. Yes. I feel better now, but thoughts? I'm, uh, I'm 100% with you on that. That worries me. Yes. I, I would tend to agree. That's it? Yeah. I went I through mean, this it doesn't bother me that and, much. But, but it's what's the point of marking it if you're just putting something in the so so you you mark your ball with this big poker chip. All I know, it's still in my way. All I know is right. The next time I play way. with Scott, I can assure you what I'll be marking my ball. With. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe they'll have them down in the pro shop here. I'll buy a couple. <laughs> I mean, look, but, it's a novelty kind of golf thing. Like there are a million other novelty kind of golf. And things. look at ninety nine percent of the time, it's not in the way, so it's not a big deal. But again. Well, well, this guy made says it's an inexpensive souvenir to let your buddies know you played at Pebble Beach or some other swanky course. That's what his thinking was, the get off my lawn. I, I don't have a problem with that as much as the fact it's inconsistent with the intent of what a ball mark is. Right. Yes, I 100% agree. Sorry. Sorry I'm agreeing with you, but I am. It concerns me. <laughs> All right, now we're, we've had one good thing and nine other yeah, words. I'm going to have to we're, turn. We're back in the, the balance of the universe is back. All right, number <laughs> uh, six, mandatory, cor- cor- mandatory carts, courses that make you take carts. Now, that's a revenue thing for the courses, but it's also a speed thing because you play generally play faster. Most people play faster when they have a cart. Do you like that or not like that? I know what you're going to say. I know Scott doesn't like I that. Know. I understand it. I understand the nature of the industry now. I understand that that it is a revenue stream, and that you know. So is it is it ideal? No, but I get it, and I'm I accepting mean, full, of it. Full disclosure: in our one day events, we as long as it's it's not car path only, we make riding mandatory. And it's, I mean, that's more when you have a hundred players at a, at a site to keep everybody moving, and so you don't have. You know, a couple dozen walkers out there that end up slowing down everybody else. Um, and, you know, we're, it's part of their entry fee, so everybody gets in a golf cart and, and go out there and enjoy your day. Um, but, you know, I I like walking as much as anybody else, and, and but, I, I you know, it's, a I guess, a necessary evil, if you want to call it that. On, yes. on the other side of the argument, golf, some people think golf should be exercise. Or that's why they do it. It's one of the reasons I do it. I'm not a cart guy. I have two sets of friends. One, who think you are a, a, a close to an axe murderer if you take a cart. And I have another set that think you're pretty much close to a na- child molester if you... Oh, oh that's a bad one. All right, let, let me back it up. All right. I I'm could have sworn right. I thought SFW axe murder was me, strong. I go. think... All right, axe murder. You made your point. Out. I'll edit that out. And we, child, child muster, too. Can we pull that one out? Whatever. Something really bad. Egregious, If you yes. take them. Egregious, yes. 
or ubiquitous, whatever. I said it right that time, didn't I? No, it's ubiquitous. It's ubiquitous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Anyway. I think so the point was made. Right. Um, I think yes. they're both extreme and they're both incorrect. I mean, I prefer to walk, but I've, I'll have i take carts plenty of times, so I get it. Right. Um, so I don't have a real problem with it. I think it's I mean, the nature of the I direction out, of the industry. When I go out Saturday afternoons at Concord to try to play five, six holes, I, you know, sometimes I struggle with it that I want to walk, but at the same time I know if I ride, it's going to go faster, and you know, if I come up to a, a family that's out there, I can easily scoot around them and go find an empty hole. But I like the exercise aspect of it. It slows me down. I'm, I'm taking my time a little more walking. Um, so, you know, it's... That's you know, the bottom line is I like the exercise. I right. do, too. Right. And so, That's for me, it's as much as... I don't as know where you and I played um, recently, but when we finished, I, my comment to you was, that was a good sweat. You know, it, it right. feels good when you, you, know, you go out totally. there and play, and then you feel like... Boy, I, I really worked my tail off there. Well, that's how and by the way, speaking of that, anecdotally, um, I got the little pedometer thing on my phone, and I looked at it today that from last Wednesday when I marked Brentwood until today, I had walked 28 miles. That is anecdotally. Yes. Yeah. It's impressive. You didn't take a card. No. No. <laughs> See, There's a lot of walking a, when you're marking. That's well, a lot, though, right? I mean, that's And then a lot. you think about, I set tees every day at right. the open, so you're parking the yeah. You can't drive on the tee box, so you're parking the cart, and you're walking <laughs> up there and wandering around the tee box for a while and saying, oh, I'll set this part three at 173 yards, even though the wind's going to be blowing 40 miles an hour in their face. Look, you, I think the bottom line is if it helps the course financially survive, then in a lot of ways that's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. And in and, this day and age, that's a concern. I used to bribe my son when he was young by taking a cart. We'd go off on Saturday. I mean, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of Saturday, late Saturday afternoon play, and I used to get him to come, and he'd let him drive the cart sometimes. Oh, it's the best way lap. to get kids involved in yep. golf. The yep. cart is a huge carrot to get them out on the yep. golf course. Yep, it was huge. So uh, that was. Um, but you know what else I like to do? I like having a caddy who drives a cart, and your bag is carried, but you can walk. Anyway, all right, number seven, adjustable drivers. This is back to Scott's uh, profession, so we don't want to. Uh, <laughs> this guy doesn't like adjustable drivers. What do, do, do adjustable drivers really work for people? 100% work. The, the when I say misnomer work. of adjustable driver is that you adjust it constantly, which is not the case. What it does is it allows you to adjust it to whatever is the appropriate setting for you, and then therefore you generally leave it. And so from an inventory standpoint, not to get into my business, but you know, you used to have to have 10 different drivers to meet 10 different specs, whereas now you need one head and maybe five shafts. Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, it just makes sense for the player, makes sense for the industry, it just makes sense. And so adjustable drivers are brilliant, and quite honestly, in many ways. It just doesn't mean you adjust it every time you go and play. So mm-hmm. I think there's this misnomer about what an adjustable driver is. But Once the, you get it at your setting, then you pretty much leave it. Or on the other hand, if you want to find out, or maybe you like playing different ways, you can play 8 degrees, you can play 11 degrees. I, and, to, you know, I think you made My friend Olin here. Brown is fiddling with his driver all the time. All the time. And it's so funny because every drive he hits is straight and down the middle and 260 and... He'll fiddle with it, and he'll he'll say, oh, it's this or it's that, and I just sort of laugh, thinking every drive he hits straight down the middle, 260. And so 
Um, some people love to fidget, and you will absolutely get different trajectories. You will get different launch yep. angles and different those. Look, kinds it's of obvious things. that this isn't, wasn't some flash in the pan for the industry. It's right. it's here to stay. Totally, totally. Uh, all right, uh, this is again getting off my grasp. But uh, major tournaments risking running out of daylight by starting late. And what did he reference? He referenced uh, Valhalla at the PGA in 2014. Um, agree or disagree? I mean, as a tournament administrator, you're, I, I'm pretty sure Kerry Hague and the PGA of America weren't purposely trying to run out of daylight. I mean, I don't to, remember. Did to, they have weather issues at they all? They had. I don't. It was. I know it was. It makes wet me that think week. they must have had some weather issues. I don't know, but you know, it was a fiasco when they. You know, they're trying to finish two groups at the, essentially at the same time on eighteen because the weather's coming in, and I mean, you can't control that. And you look at a weather forecast, and you do. I mean, the weather forecast we had Thursday at Brentwood was a 90% chance. Well, and you don't even have one of the issues that they have on tour, which is TV time, right? Yeah, so right. They, they want the finish to be from 4 to 6. And, and get you know, on. So do, so do the people watching on TV. Of course. Right. And, and even further, you know, I get when they move tea times up on a Sunday because of weather. But I very much get frustrated when I found out the results of the tournament before I end up watching it mm-hmm. when it comes on at 4. And so, you know... I think that's a, a grumpy curmudgeon just yep. complaining I mean, about something. I, I other can assure than you the issue that they had on Valhalla, they never envisioned at Valhalla. They never envisioned that they would run into that scenario. They're trying to, you're trying to run the event in the the normal time you have allotted, and you just right. they, they they got unlucky. I would say, right? right. It's I, like you this weekend having to deal with, or last weekend having to deal with weather. And yeah. it's the one thing you can't control. Mother Nature right. dictates. So, yeah. so. Yeah. all right, so thumbs down for that guy. Agreed. And we're not bringing him with us on this program, that's for sure. Uh, number 10, <laughs> extended ball retrievers. And the picture this guy had, or, or the picture in this thing, was it was like a telephone pole long ball retriever going into a, this pond and holding everybody up. Um, you can get a little excessive with looking for balls or trying to retrieve your ball, correct? Or no? Absolutely, right. you can. And again, I... Sell many a ball retriever, so I'm hesitant. But at the same time, I've never. Do you never, sell as many as you used to? I don't uh, see as many around no, anymore. No, not as many as you used to. But I also would say that um, uh, I've never had a ball retriever in my bag. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so, I, I would believe that. And and I I you know like I watch the first hole at Centipede when I'm playing, and I see people don't clear that little stream, if you will, that goes across, and they go right up the edge, and they get their ball retriever out, and you just sort of. Whatever you know, it's it, again. It's like it's like um, what did we talked about earlier. What uh, was iron the covers. yeah? It's like it's iron covers. Same yeah. thing, you know. People want to go retrieve that that golf ball. Whatever. Have you played? I do get it. Ever played at Mount Washington? I have. Uh, it used to be the second hole. I think it's now on the back nine. Well, you, had, you had a, an undefeated tri-state wrapped up there until the yes. 18th hole. Didn't you? Yes. Thank you for that dark moment in my life. <laughs> You know, there's a there's the a worst. Stream. It may have been the worst shot I've hit in five years. Swear to God, I still. Now that you brought it up, and thank you, I'm going to have to go lie down. And Speaking of mispronunciations, it's like John Valdevane with the uh, in the, at the British Valdivane. Open. <laughs> I'm sticking with that one. Anyway, uh, well, his was a series of bad shots. Scott was just right. just one, but right the first in the middle one. of the fairway. Oh, no, but the God. one when he was trying to hit it out of the flashbacks. Water. Thanks, Matt. 
Uh, but anyway, my point it was, a was my point was there's a stream <laughs> that goes in front of one of the T's relative, and it's like a crystal clear stream. And I get up there and I'm looking. There had to be, there had to be, 150 balls there. And the you know, I could see someone with a with a ball retriever. Why not go there at nine o'clock at night and in June and do it? But I could see people just reaching it, and it looked like it was a, it was more it wasn't as shallow as it looked. So I could see uh, people so just people reaching and trying trying to get the ball. <laughs> no, they the don't. Money. Anyway. Uh, Having to pay full boat for greens fees on punched greens. Pet peeve. I would say this, that when you call in the fall and you're looking for a tee time and, of course, you haven't played and they say, you say, how's the course? And they say, great. And then you show up and the greens have been punched. I think you need full disclosure on that. I get right. how they don't. I understand why they don't because they're risking revenue. I get all that. But, boy, to play golf on punched greens is, in many ways, not really even playing golf. It's one thing to know that they're punched and then decide totally. to go and play. Totally. It's another thing to show up Agreed. and drop 60 yeah. I think there needs to be full close disclosure with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. So, uh, I'm okay with punched greens and paying full price. I just want to know about it. Matt? Agreed. All right, you must be getting close to people coming in. So, <laughs> uh, I'm starting to get answers. This is uh, anyway. Two more cut down clubs for juniors. This was big when I was a kid. Well, I mean, forever that's the way it used to be, but it doesn't need to be that way anymore. Right. Now they have clubs that are not only see when when I would get a cut down club, it was my dad's five iron cut right. down, so it was right. too heavy, too stiff. Oh, yeah. right. Grip was, I mean, all kind uh, wrong on every level. Now, did it matter? No, but. It was right. wrong on every level. Right. Now they have great junior clubs oh, yeah. of the right size, yeah. weight, flex, and all that. So. so I'll tell you a funny story. I may have told this story before, but so I didn't play golf my freshman year of high school. Um, so my sophomore year was a brand new high school. So I kind of hemmed and hawed about trying out for the golf. With you know, the, the, everybody knew the sports teams weren't. Gonna, there was no senior class, so the sports teams weren't going to be as strong. And so my, you know, my dad sort of talked me into, why don't you go out and what's the worst that can happen? Just try out, you know, and, and see what happens. And so I had this really old set of junior clubs that I had forever. He said, you know, well, before you try out, we have to get you new clubs. So we went to, and, and another reference that we've already had this year, I think we went to Sports Authority. And they didn't really have, you know, the junior sets were all in a box. And so he said, well, what I think we ought to do is we ought to get you a set of ladies' clubs because they're shorter because yeah. as those who know me know that I'm not quite the Adonis, I'm not very tall, um, you know, they're a little bit shorter, so the, they'll work better. So, we, you know, we get they don't, you know, look like ladies' clubs. So I'm I had ladies' clubs. It's a natural transition right, at that so size and age. About totally. It. You know, they, they look Didn't normal. want the baby blue, right. uh, you know. So it comes to, to tryouts the first day. We're at this very nice place called, called Lowe's Island, which is now Trump National. They have the senior PGA there. So I'm in the, I knew the coach, so he puts me in the first group off, and, and there are 35 other kids standing around the first tee. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I've never been more nervous in my life oh, yeah. to hit a golf shot. And so the coach is standing there and he says, Hey, let me, let me see your clubs. So he looks at my clubs in the bag and he says, my wife has the exact same set for all these other high school kids. It was mortifying. Ex- expanding. So you haven't forgotten it? No. <laughs> but right. you know what? I made the team and played for three years. Right. There so. you go. I think that was a bit for making you feel bad about your bad shot. He oh, I don't think that was it at all. No. 
nope. stumbled into he, it. I think he enjoyed making me feel bad for my bad shot. All right, the final one is uh, training aids that claim to solve all your problems, like helmets where you have things hanging. The scene from Tin Cup with uh, Kevin Costner and Rene Russo pops into mind, but arm things that keep your arms straight. <laughs> you sell those things there? I played with at, Steve at Pate Gulf? this winter. Steve Pate has won like eight times on tour or whatever. And, and, the U.S. Uh, Open winner, Steve uh, Pate? He did not win the U.S. Oh, Open. That's Jerry Pate. Pate. Yeah, right. Um, Anyway, his nickname is Volcano. I mean, he's a piece right. of work. Really a fun guy, but but a bit of a whack job. And, and I, I, he wears this jacket on the range. Oh, <laughs> and I'm looking and thinking, really? Um, so I guess my answer to that would be, if it works for you, yeah. I would never do it. But, you know, this game is so hard, and there are so many different ways to skin the cat. And you it's go to the first tee right now, and just to sit there for the day, you will not see any swings exactly yeah. the same. It just plays into what we've talked about, too, that it's so fickle. Totally. And you feel like if you think something can help you get it back, and you know working in, in the golf industry, people have made millions of dollars on gimmicks. Totally. Right. Because How many infomercials are we watching? You know, the, yep. right. the, the square strike. Right. And the, that square strike's driving nuts, right? I mean, it is on all the time. and So... Are they gimmicky? Yes, because quite honestly, you already have the square strike club in your bag. It's called a seven iron. Mm-hmm. So, but that doesn't—it doesn't matter right. if it works for you. It makes sense. Now, are they gimmicky? Yes, but that's okay. That's okay. I, I mean, see, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't use a colored golf ball. Hey. I mean, I wouldn't put the towel in my back pocket. But there are it, all kinds yeah. of ways. It takes to all do kinds. Exactly. Some of the ones I've seen that even if it dropped my handicap by like eight shots. I still wouldn't wear them just because you got to walk up to the first tee well, and use okay. it. Or so, maybe maybe I'll take a bogey in the first hole <laughs> and then hide it in my bag and use it. But. Well, you guys know this. I would tell you that the hardest change I ever made in the in my golf life was going from putting right-handed to left-handed. Not because of what it did for me, but what how difficult it was to go play with others. Yeah. And I remember that first time in front of good players or the first time I players championship I don't even remember what year, but I'm on the practice putting green my first time in front of, I remember, Steck and Danny Arvinitis. And I'm putting lefty, and they're riding me, as they should, as I would have. And I remember saying to them, I will never putt right-handed again. And they looked at me and laughed and thought it was the funniest thing. But I knew at that time that I was never going to putt righty again. But So my point is, it was the right change for me. I don't recommend everybody should be going from righty to lefty, but it worked for me. Is that because you're a hockey player? Um, well, or is it because you're they, a terrible putter? It was because well, I had the what I mean, but I play hockey lefty. Yes, so I do as well. I batted lefty in baseball. Right. So it, it got me thinking that way, but I don't think it's specifically you know, it's that. It's funny. I've, I don't know how many times we played together, at least a couple dozen. I don't even notice it anymore. Isn't that funny? It is. I yeah. don't. I mean, when we played at Sunnyfield last week, I didn't notice it at all. It's, so I played with somebody for the first time over the weekend. And I think for the first five or six holes, they were whispering to my buddy, said, so do you think he notices and doesn't say anything or doesn't really notice or hasn't really put it all together? But when I play with new people, it's quite comical because well, they'll they, either they, say right off the bat, they'll, like I remember <laughs> this winter I played with a guy who played on web.com when he first hole and, and I get to the first I'm step over my putt and he goes, whoa, 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 wait, what's going on? And they're taken back. But mm-hmm. I'll have the same not the same person, but I'll have a similar person who either won't notice for the longest time or will sort of halfway through the round saying, what, wait, you put left-handed? You want to you uh, get one that's even worse than that and make, get people to respond? 
I played with this guy who has no idea how to play. He was starting. He's he putts from like a hundred yards out. If it's a hill, he's got no idea how to play. He's in the trap one day, and he pulls out his putter, and there's no lip. And I'm watching him, and he's getting it to within two feet or three feet, you know, or certainly within makeable yeah. distance. So one day I said, I'm going to try that and just start messing around as long as there's no lip, and it works. Um, it's so I started doing it and every single time same thing people what are you doing you know I wouldn't do it just because people will look at you for doing it right they don't think you know what you're doing right and and so it's it, your it ego works. If you it really can, does right. work so if you can me. deal with it and if your ego allows you to do it without feeling self-conscious yep. about it then have at it yep. and yep. that's really almost everything we've talked about whether it's the the iron covers or the ball retriever or whatever the case may be if it works for you, do it. Yep. And I think that we we as golfers all understand that because we've all been there. And you're like, you know what, if this helped me, it helps me one play better and two enjoy the game more. Well, you know, it's funny, um, in back, back to the putting thing, and not me, but but I'll ask you, Matt, how many people, what percentage do you think of people you play with or you see playing events putt conventionally now? It's not very many. Right? Isn't it amazing how... How whether it's the claw, whether it's some form of long or some sort of bracing on the forearm or lefty or whatever the case may be. Well, heck, look at Kepka. They talk about how much he plays it off the toe. He doesn't even line it right. up normally. That's not conventional. No. So, you know, it's a great example of there is no right or wrong. No. You know what? Here it is. If it goes in the hole in less right. strokes, exactly it's right. 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 And if it goes in the hole with more strokes, it's wrong. That's why it's funny. You see people walk up to the first tee and they're dressed to the nines and they got the bag and everything's... You know, and then you got a guy who shows up and his shirt's half hanging out and got the towel out of the back. Well, you know what? If the guy who's got the towel hanging out of the back shoots even par and the other guy shoots 81, it doesn't matter what you look like. Totally agree. Right. It matters how you hit it and how you get it around. Right. Get right. in the hole. Um, all right. Time to shift to the final word. Uh, this, it's interesting. We had a, what I call a light golf news week, and I think we've had now our, longest, our longest podcast because we I were to go back to work. I do too. Right. So. Anyway, we're at the end. Uh, uh, final word, uh, Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit. Uh, anybody know who? I've got guys. Here's a guy. Who You're gonna taking pick? Tony Fee now, I know. No, he's not in the. He's not in I'm the, taking uh, Ricky Fowler because he's a Rocket Mortgage sponsor. I'll take Ryan Moore. Right. Where'd that come from? Um, he played good last week. He didn't putt very good, but okay. he, he's a good ball striker. And right. I believe they're at a Donald Ross course, aren't they? I don't know. I right. Oh, okay. the Country Club of Detroit is. Yeah. Yep. That's a very good golf course. All right. And I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to jinx Kevin Kisner's uh, next month and a half by picking him to win. Poor kids. I like Kiz. him, too. Yep. It was nice. Yeah. He, had, he had a good run. Yeah. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> anyway. All right. Thanks to uh, Scott and Matt. Enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, thanks, guys. I'll see you guys next week. And I'll just close with saying for best selection, service, and savings. Swing by Golf and Ski Warehouse. Thanks to them for being uh, the presenting sponsor of Preferred Lies. Uh, you can find them in Hudson, Greenland, and West Lebanon, New Hampshire, and in Scarborough, Maine. Learn more and get directions to Golf and Ski Warehouse at golfskiwarehouse.com. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and we'll see you next week.